take your Bibles and turn with me to Jude 1 and 2. We will actually look at uh, the second half of last week's sermon. I only got the first half in last week, so we got to go back and do the second half of last week's sermon. Uh, I thought I'd be in verse 3 today, but I stopped after verse 1, and so we want to be sure we get all that Jude has to say to us in relation to our walk with Christ. I pondered this week a little bit, uh, reading one of the, the Puritan writers, Richard Baxter. I pondered a little bit from his writings and sort of distilled down, uh, asking myself, what is the real essence of knowing that you are growing in Christ? You know, that's a, that's a fair question. There's probably a lot of ways we could answer that. We could probably say, well, one way you know you're growing in Christ is you are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. There are certain characteristics that, that Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians that he says, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, and all those against such things there is no law. He, he talks about how the, the fruit of the Spirit pours forth from those who are true believers who are growing in Christ. Paul also calls that in the, to the Philippian Christians the fruit of righteousness. That, that in a growing, maturing believer, there will be the fruit of righteousness that will be evidence. And I really think the fruit of righteousness is very similar to, if not even exactly like, the fruit of the Spirit. So, so those are ways you can know you're growing in Christ. But in reading Richard Baxter this week, one of the things that really struck me, uh, that he sort of said in about 15 pages, I'm going to try to say it in one sentence, but one of the things that he basically said was, in this particular work, as he said, you know, that really the, the way you can know that you are, are growing in Christ is to realize your own weakness and inadequacy. To be a Christian. To live the Christian life. You know, so often we think the, the people who are really growing are those who, who kind of throw out their chest and they, they look so confident and they look so, so certain about their own Christian walk that they, they just exude... I know how to do this. I know how to make this work. I know, how to, I know how to put on the front and the show and everything else. But in reality, one who is really growing in Christ, one who is really knowing the grace of God in their life, will be one who says, you know, I can't do this. It's impossible. It is beyond anything I ever dreamed of being able to do. It really is an understanding of our inadequacy. If you look at most of evangelical Christianity today, there is usually a front put up and an appearance that, hey, I have it all together. I, I can do this in my sleep. I can, I can do this without any help from anybody else or, or even any help from God. I've got this down pat. I can live the Christian life in my own strength, in my own power, in my own wisdom. That's not a mark of a Christian. That's not a mark of a growing Christian. That's a mark of someone who, who thinks they can work their way into God's favor. That, that's a mark of somebody who thinks, I can do something that will really please God in so big a way that God will smile upon me and God will, will love me all the more because I can do it. The real motto of the growing Christian is, I can't do it. That's really what Jude is wanting us to see in these first two little verses of his letter. 
He doesn't give anything profound there in one sense, but in another sense, there is the profundity of depth that is there that, that we could spend weeks on it and never mind the absolute truth that he's wanting us to see. We saw last week that he started out by saying, Jude, just identifying himself, which was the custom of that day. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ, not a bond servant, not a servant. The word there, the word for servant is diakonos, which is, we translate deacon. The word he used here is doulos, which is the word slave and nothing else. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. To those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept, for Jesus Christ. And then verse 2 that we look at this morning. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. That may very well be the shortest prayer in all the Bible. Because verse 2 is a prayer. It's a prayer to those whom he identifies in the second half of verse 1 that we looked at last week, who are the called. We talked about how in the New Testament, that is the most used identifying name for believers. We are the called. We are the ones who have experienced more than just the general call of the gospel that's proclaimed when we hear the gospel preached or when a pastor or an evangelist or someone proclaims the truth of the gospel and then says, come to Christ. That is a general call, but the call here is something that has specifically happened in every believer's life. They've experienced the grace of God, the call of God, and by faith they have responded to that call in Jesus Christ. And that's how Paul and Jude and others identify believers all through the New Testament. We are the called. And we owe our call to the grace of God. And we, that, that call ought to cause us to, to stop and pause a minute and realize we didn't do it ourselves. But, but we are what we are because of his grace. We are what we are because he has done his work within our life totally separated from our, quote, good works. Those are merely fruit that flow out of that. Those are some of that fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of righteousness. We are the called. We are the ones, he said, who are beloved in God. God has poured out his love on us. God has, has lavished us in his love, literally. And we are protected. We are kept. We are, we are guarded by God in Christ, for Christ. We are, we are to be his, his bride in the, in the great marriage feast at the end of all time. We are the bride of Christ. We are kept by the power of God. Uh, Peter says we are kept by the power of God for Christ. We're, we're not kept in our own strength. We're not kept in our own goodness. We're not kept by our own ability. We are totally unable. We have inability, but we are kept by the power of God. What a glorious truth that is, it, that if you are in Christ, you will always be in Christ. As Paul said in Romans chapter 8, he said, you know, if, if you've been called and chosen and set apart and, and justified and, and sanctified, you will ultimately be glorified. It's a certainty that God has guaranteed, that God has promised in his word to every true child of God. There's security in that. And so Jude here in his little letter, he identifies Believers as the called, those who are loved by God, and those who are protected or kept for Christ Jesus. And then he says, this is what I'm praying for you. These three things are spiritual blessings. 
They're not material. He doesn't say, I pray that you might be rich. He doesn't say, I pray that you might be popular. He doesn't say, I pray that you might have an ease and no pain and no sickness or or nothing in this life. He, He never says he prays for that. Now, I realize that today in our prayer life, that's what we spend most of our time praying for, isn't it? God, give me stuff. It's my favorite word. covers a multitude of things. Pretty much covers everything that is in the world. Lord, give us stuff and, and, and make us popular with people. And, and Lord, let us be secure in our surroundings and secure in our possessions. Lord, that's what we find praying. And you'll find a lot of preachers who will stand up and say, Listen, God loves you so much that if you really have faith, God wants you healthy and wealthy and, and all these kind of things. I mean, you'll, you can hear that. You can find it any day on any television program and in many pulpits. Jude doesn't pray for that, for these believers. We don't really know where he's writing to or who he's writing to. He's not that specific, but he is specific in the fact that they are in Christ, they are called in Christ, and they belong to Christ. And if they did, we do, if we have truly trusted him. And so he prays for three things. He prays these spiritual blessings, and these really are the best blessings. (laughs) They really are better than stuff. They they really are better than possessions. They really are better than wealth. They really are better than popularity. He prays for these spiritual blessings, and in praying for those four believers, both then in his day and today in our day, basically I think he's saying these are the best blessings, and they are what we should desire. We should desire to know. Above everything else. Now, now God may give blessings that are material and blessings that are physical, and, and that's well and good. He may give you health that is just unbelievable. I, I've, I've thought about my own life. I'm 60 years old, and I basically have had one major thing go wrong in 60 years, you know, and, and that, is, uh, uh, that, that was a hernia surgery back in the early 1980s. I mean, it's been, been kind of nice. God's blessed me with that in spite of maybe me not taking care of myself like I should. But God's blessed me with that. I look at family members who have suffered through all sorts of sicknesses and all sorts of problems. Uh, even some of my close family, I say, wow, why did God bless me like that and, 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 and like this? And, and they're going through all this other stuff. I don't understand it. I don't know why. I'm thankful he did. But even physical blessings don't even begin to compare. Even good health doesn't even begin to compare with what he's talking about here. These are the blessings of God that we ought desire. He, he says, if you're the called, if you're the called, if you are loved by God, if you are kept by his Holy Spirit and kept for Jesus Christ, then, then these are the things I pray for you. And, and they're common things. Remember, they're so common, they're used in a lot of the early... Biblical greetings, mercy, peace, grace, love, all, all those things. They're, just, they're, they're used regularly. But he uses them as his prayer specifically for those who are in Christ. So we can say that 2,000 years later, Judas still praying this prayer through the written word to, for you and me, that we might know them. And, and, and they're... they're Blessings, they're, they're blessings that he prays for that without even saying it, he, he really involves the entire Trinity in it. That's kind of a 
as I look at it and study it, it's kind of a cool thing that, that as he prays for them, he, he prays in a Trinitarian manner. He doesn't say here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at all, but he prays three things for them that are, are, are uniquely ascribed to the persons of the Trinity throughout Scripture. First of all, he prays, May mercy be multiplied to you. May mercy be multiplied to you. Mercy is from the Father. The, the same word is sometimes translated grace. We, we, we know that in Paul's writings particularly. Paul talks a lot about grace. Grace and mercy, while they are not exactly identical, perfectly identical, they are very much synonymous. Mercy is, is God giving of himself, God giving us what we don't deserve and not giving us what we do deserve. Mercy is God's long forbearance. Mercy is God's, God's patience with us. Mercy shows itself up in a multitude of different ways in everyday life that we live. So often we think of mercy or grace. We've talked about this before. It's not new to you, but... But, but so often we talk about mercy and grace being something that we experience when we come to Christ. That it's that initial entrance into the Christian faith. God had grace on me and I was saved. God showed me his grace and I believed. God opened my eyes and had mercy on me, opened my heart and had mercy on me, and I believed in Jesus Christ as Savior. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of how we look at it. And too often we as Christians say, okay, I don't need to have any grace anymore. I don't need to have any mercy anymore. That happened back there 20, 30 Ten years ago, whenever you were, whenever you were born again, that, that grace and mercy has happened in your past. But I think Jude is making clear here that if you are the called, mercy is a needed grace, a needing ble needed blessing of God in your life every day that you live. Every day you live. It's not just back then, but it's right now. I, I love how Paul expressed this idea of mercy in his second letter to the Corinthians when he just made this statement. When he said in 2 Corinthians 1.3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen how he describes the Father. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. He's called the Father of mercies. He's the Father of grace. He's the, he, he's the one who is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by virtue of adoption, He's our Father. And He comforts us and He shows us His mercy every single day. He's the, he's the God of grace. He's the God of mercy. He's the God of all comfort, the Apostle says here. What a glorious thing to know that if we are in Christ... We have a God who is our Heavenly Father who's, who desires to show us mercy even when we stumble, even when we mess up, even when we struggle in the Christian life. I, I like the way Micah the prophet put it. Micah said in Micah, uh, Micah 7.18, he said basically, and, and just the last part of that verse, he says that God delights to show mercy. Micah 7. 18. He, he delights to show mercy. It, it's God's delight to work in the lives of his children, the lives of those in his family. He delights to show them mercy 
every single day. Again, too often we think of God as saying, oh, he was so gracious when he saved us. He, he showed us so much mercy and care and, and kindness and patience that he walked us through that. He, he, he birthed us into the family of God. He birthed us into the kingdom and adopted us as his children. And, and, and all these things are glorious. But now he's kind of standing over us with a rod and saying, boy, you better keep it straight. It's not it at all. God's not threatening us. God's not saying, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to punish you if you don't behave. But God is saying even when you struggle, it's my mercy, my comfort, and my care that will see you through it. And, and so Jude prays for these believers. He said, listen, Father, what, what I pray for them is I pray for them to know your mercy. Father, you are the God of comfort. You are the Father of mercies, and, and you delight in showing mercy. So, Father, I pray for these believers that I'm writing this letter to you. I pray for these who are the called. I pray you show them mercy. Let them know your mercy. Let them sense your mercy. Uh, a word that I kind of shy away from because it's used so much and, and used so wrongly in the Christian life. But Lord, let them feel your mercy. Let, let them sense the reality of your presence. And the reality of your showing mercy every single day. So he prays to him that mercy may be multiplied to you. He used that multiplied to you for all three of these, but I want you to understand when he says that, he's saying, I pray that we mercy upon mercy upon mercy infinitely in your life. That you will know his mercy. Second thing he prays, as I pray, Lord, that not only will mercy be multiplied to, to these believers, but uh, these who are the called, but, but I pray, O oh Lord, that peace will be multiplied to them. Peace. Peace is from who? Peace is from the Son. Peace is from, from Jesus Christ, our Savior, who, who died on the cross and, and took God's wrath for our sin upon himself and, and gave us his righteousness and gave us his peace. The Apostle Paul said uh, again to the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 14 15, he starts out in verse 14 by saying this, For he himself is our peace. He not only gives us peace, he is our peace. He brought about our peace by dying on that cross. He goes on in that verse and says, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, that is Jew and Gentile, that lost and all these different things, those who are lost, both Jew and Gentile, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is in the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so that he himself, that, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Boy, there's a lot of things those two verses relate to. The primary thing is, Paul is saying there, he is our peace between us and God. He has destroyed the enmity. Do you know what enmity is? It could be determined to be hard feelings. It could be determined to be war or battle or struggle. And he's saying that before Christ became our peace, before Christ saved us, 
We were in a battle with God. We were at war with God. We were not friendly with God at all. We wanted it our own way. Just like I prayed this morning. We wanted our own agenda. We didn't desire God's will. We wanted what we wanted, as we wanted it, when we wanted it, how we wanted it, regardless of who it affected. It's one of our way. But Jude says he, he brought peace. And Paul says he became himself, he became our peace. And, and made, broke down this enmity in the, by his flesh. He, he abolished it. And we're no longer, we now know, we, we now know peace, the peace of the Son. And that peace is, is twofold. It's, it's peace with God. There's no longer the battle. The battle has been won. The battle is over. Christ has accomplished that on the cross. And, and so now we have peace with God. And, and it's not only a, a, an abolition of enmity. It's not only a, 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 a tearing that away and, and ending that. But now it even comes to the point of making us friends with God. Not buddies. Not pals. But friends. There's a great difference in those two. We're now friends with God. Jesus said that in, in, in John's gospel. In, in John 14, he said, you know, I, I, you're now my friends if you keep my word. You're now my friends if you abide in me. You're now my friends if you belong to me, if you're my disciple. So now there is no more war. There's no more battle. There's no more struggle. We have peace with God. It goes a step further. I think this second part is the valuable part that Jude prays for here, that it be multiplied to each one of us. And that is, it's not just peace with God, but it is the peace of God. Paul talked about that to the Philippian Christians. In Philippians chapter 4, he said, Let your mind dwell on these things, whatever is good, whatever is of whatever is right, whatever is honorable, whatever is of a good reputation, then let your mind dwell on these things. And listen to the rest of it. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until that day. The peace of God. So this peace that Christ brought is not just something that says, okay, now the battle is over, but it's a peace that, that really fills our life. It's a peace that knows when, when, when times are difficult, when there are struggles in this life, there's a peace that abides because He is present. Because He has granted us of His peace. He has given us of His peace. You know, a lot of times people look at, look at uh, the, the Beatitudes and where Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And, and they think they're talking about some kind of secular diplomat or, or some kind of Christian just tries to to just make peace, never have any conflict, never have any struggles, you know, just, just peace at all costs, whatever it takes, whatever truth you have to give up, what, whatever you have to give up, just make peace. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a peace between man and the Father. He's talking about a peace between man and God. When he said, blessed are the peacemakers, he's basically talking about blessed are those who share the gospel. Blessed are those who tell the good news of Jesus Christ because they're at work not, working about, not worrying about temporal peace, not worrying about just being sure that everybody's happy and everything's calm and everything's... No, they're, they're, 
they're occupied with eternal peace. Peace with God that results in the peace of God. What are you struggling with today? In your own life, what is it that is just weighing heavy on you? Then Jude prays that in the midst of that, His peace will be shown to you. His peace will be manifest to you. That you will know the peace of God in the midst of, of earth's struggles. He says, I pray it be multiplied to you. I pray that you'll have peace upon peace upon peace, that it will be just magnified in your life. And then there's a third thing. It said, may mercy be multiplied to you, may peace be multiplied to you, and may love be multiplied to you. May love be multiplied to you. What in the world is he talking about? May, may love. He, he's already said uh, up in, in verse 1 that, that if we are in Christ, we are the beloved of God. I mean, how much more love can you have than that, right? I, I mean, it's, it's one thing to know that you're loved by a husband or a wife. It's one thing to know you're loved by your children or that your, your parents love you. I mean, that's great. That's important. That's, that's important for this life. But, but to know that you're loved by God, you are the beloved of God. I mean, does, can it get any better than that? Why would you need that? Why would you need love to be multiplied? Well, I, I think it's because he's not just talking about, there in verse 2, the love that we sense, the love that we feel from the Father. He's, he's not just talking about love that is shown toward us. Now, that begins it. That, that starts the process. We are beloved by the Father. We know that love. We experience that love in a day-by-day -day basis. But here I think he's talking about love that's far greater. He's talking about a love that is given to us. We love him because he first loved us, John says in 1 John. That, that's important to remember. We love him because he first loved us. We don't love him because we got smart enough or good enough or or, or whatever. We don't love him because we're just such a good person. We love him because he first loved us. And then that love begins to generate in our life. Then that love begins to be manifested into our life on a, on a consistent and on a daily basis. I, I like the way Paul said in Romans, Romans chapter 5 and, and, and verse 5, when he simply says this, And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we've got mercy from the Father, peace from the Son, and now love by the Holy Spirit, poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. There's that Trinitarian, Trinitarian formula. There, there's the, the whole of the Trinity at work in your life as a believer. Now we know that's one God, that's not three gods at work. That's one God manifested as three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One, one God who is three in one, and, and the math doesn't work, I know. And, and we can't figure it out to where we're comfortable saying, oh, well, let me tell you how that works. We can't, we, we can't understand the Trinity in its, in its beauty and its complexity, but we believe the Trinity because the Word teaches it. But Paul, 
Paul says the Holy Spirit's been poured out into our hearts and it, it's by that that we know the love of God and it's by that Holy Spirit that we begin to manifest the love of God first of all back to Him. That's worship. The whole word worship, you know, literally at root meaning means to, to throw a kiss. To, to just throw a kiss toward God. Not, not a... Not a shallow kiss, not a casual kiss, but, but to, to throw our, our whole affection, our whole love, our whole being to say, God, I love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my might. I, I love you, God, before anything else. I love you, God, and Jesus before, before my, my family. I love you, God. I love you, Jesus, before my possessions. I, I love you, God. I love you, Jesus, uh, above everything in this world, everything. And I'll give it all if it takes that to glorify you. That's the kind of love that Jude is praying for you and me. It's not a sentimental love. It's not a gushy love. It's not a love that says, oh, well, I just love everybody. What was it? Was it, was it Lucy in the peanut strip that said, I love, I love everybody. It's just people I can't stand. You know? Like the pastor who says, you know, pastor would be easy if it wasn't for the people. Oh, I've never said that, but some pastors have. <laughs> anyway, it's not, just a, it's not just some kind of sentimental, casual, oh, I just love everybody. No. Oh, I, of course I love God. I mean, wouldn't I be a fool not to love God, you know? I mean, God is God, after all. God created all there is. God created me. How can I not love Him? And our love is usually manifested like, love you, God. That's about it. No, He prays that a love that is passionate, a love that is intense, a love that is overriding, a love that is... Is burning. So I pray that you will know that kind of love. I pray that that kind of love toward God will be manifested in your life. And I, and I pray that you will walk in it. You know, what Jude has said in that one little sentence, one sentence prayer, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. It's emphatic. It's not just to you, everybody in the world, because everybody in the world doesn't know the mercy or the peace or the love of God in Christ. Not, not everybody understands what it means to be called, and what it means to be loved by God, and what it means to be kept for Christ. They don't. He's speaking very emphatically here, and the you is tied to the called. You who are called, these are what I pray for in your life. This is, what I, this is what I, as your pastor, pray for in, in our church and in your life, uh, the life of every member of our church, every single day. Lord, manifest your mercy. Let us know that mercy and sense that mercy. Lord, let us know the peace of God everywhere we go, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how difficult it is, Lord, just give your peace to us, to you, and to me. 
Lord, help us to love you. Help us to fall more in love with Christ every single day. See, if you know the mercy and you know the peace, that ought to energize the love to God, don't you think? I mean, see, if He really has shown His grace to you, if He really has shown His, His peace to you, I mean, I mean, if that is a reality, not just a, not just a Sunday school lesson or not just a sermon or, or not just some kind of passive American Christianity, but if that's the real deal, if you've known His mercy and you've seen His mercy in your life and you know His peace in your life, shouldn't that just cause the fire of love for Him to burn all the more greatly? Shouldn't it cause us to worship Him with a, with a, with a fervor? To worship Him passionately? To not just sit there and casually sing songs. I mean, songs, songs can sometimes get in the way of worship, folks. We act like songs are our worship time, you know, but, but songs, if they're, not, if they're not sung with more than just the lips, if they're not sung with the heart, if there's not a reality of what's taking place, what's being said in the song taking place in our life, then songs can get in the way of our worship. And we let that happen all too often. But Jude said, this is what I'm praying for you. And, and Bill is saying, this is what I'm praying for you. That you will understand and see and experience the mercies of God. The one who delights to show mercy. The Father. The, the Father of, of all mercy and, and the God of all comfort, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.3. I pray that you will know peace from the Son that, that it overrides your entire life in everything. That you might experience the joy of loving Him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That you might understand His mercy and His peace so much that it, it they serve... You know, we're only 39 days away from SEC football now. I know you wanted to know that. But I, but I have this picture in my mind. Follow me now. I, this is not a casual statement. I, I have this picture in mind of mercy and peace as two big burly tackles. And, 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 and love is sort of that scrawny little running back that's in the backfield. And, and what mercy and peace do is they just sort of clear a path. You know, there's 11 men wanting to get to the running back and destroy him, basically. And, and you got these two big burly tackles, grace, uh, mercy, and peace. And their, their, part is, their point is, their purpose is, is to just clear away the distractions. Open up the hole. That the running back might experience what he wants to experience more than anything else. And that is breaking loose and, and, and scoring the touchdown. Now, the analogy breaks down a little bit there. All of them do. But what I want you to see is, if you know the mercy of God, and you know the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, then they ought to serve as things that will destroy the distractions. For your loving God. Grace and peace ought to 
on a clear path so that your heart can just be lifted up to him and with all your might and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, you might worship him. That you might say to him in sincerity of heart, Father, I love you more than all of this. I love you because of what you've done in my life and what you, how you've manifested your mercy and your peace. I love you more than anything and mean it. You see, Jude was writing in a time when there was danger to being a Christian. Jude was writing in a time when there really was a there really was danger to say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And there was a temptation to say well Lord if you really love me you wouldn't let these people persecute me. If you really love me you wouldn't let people hate me because I'm a believer. We don't know that today. Not really. Beginning to see little pockets of it, maybe, little signs that it could be coming, and, and I believe it is coming. But he's writing to people then, and so he's writing to you and me now, who may very well be facing that in our own life at some point. Even people my age, we, we may see that coming. And he's saying, here's what will keep you. Here's what will protect you. Here's what you need to lean on. Here's what you need to desire. Here's what you need to passionately pursue. The mercy of God. The peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the love that God through His Holy Spirit has poured out in your life to be returned to Him. He asked Peter, three times on that beach. Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you really love me? Peter said, yes, you know I do. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you, do you really love me? A little bit exasperated, Peter says, Lord, you know I love you and feed my sheep. You see, the love for one another is not based on this, I love people. The love for one another is based upon our love for Christ. And it will naturally flow to one another if we're loving Christ with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind. key to loving one another is not working up some love for people you don't have a lot in common with. key to loving one another is loving God with everything. Let's pray.
Father Jude has clearly delineated the needs of the called. It's not more of this world. But our needs are spiritual. Our needs are blessings from you that are wrapped up in mercy and peace and love. Father, I pray this day that you will give us according to our needs as Jude has showed them to us. I pray, Lord, that you will give us according to our needs as your word has shown us clearly. Father, it's by your grace and by your spirit by your presence Lord meet our needs Father I pray for men and women here this morning that don't know you they've never been called by that effective call of the Holy Spirit in their life where they their eyes are open, their hearts open, and they believe in Christ, just like Lydia, the book of Acts. Or like the Apostle Paul, even on the Damascus Road. Although it may have been a little more dramatic than what we see many times, it was the same thing. His eyes were blinded so they could be open to see Christ. I pray for men and women who need their eyes open, their hearts open. I pray for others, Lord, that you are calling to be a part of our church family, that you would make that clear in their own hearts. They would know that. And would begin the process of becoming members of this covenant family. Father, I pray for others of us who have let the things of this world blind us of the true blessings we need. Not that those things are bad. They're only bad when they block our vision. They're only bad when they get in the way of our loving you. They're only bad when we learn to trust in them rather than trusting in you. Father, I confess to you this very moment that I am guilty of that on many occasions. And I pray, Lord, that you will turn my attention from that kind of thing to you and your sufficiency and your power alone. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.